Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another Forza Italian football podcast. Full of energy, full of enthusiasm, full of um, anger, I suppose. I'm here. Kev's here. Kev, say hello. Hello, everybody. Here to talk about the 23rd, 23rd, I think, round of Serie A. Yeah, 23rd, I'm calling it, yeah. Right, Ewan, you're here as well. Say hello to your father and the rest of us. Hello, Dad. Hi, everybody else. <laughs> and Vito, you're also here. How are you keeping? Oh, without rubbing it in, in Australia, it's hot. Damn hot. Oh, we're going through a heat wave. Thanks, Vito. It's currently zero minus one degrees here. So Damn. appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that very, very much. Um, look, we, we've got to talk about one of the worst games I've seen in the last 10 years this evening. But before... We get into that. Let me just run you through all of the games from the 23rd round of Serie A. It started on Friday night. Verona beat Bologna 2-1. Then Saturday was a little bit of a stinker in that Genoa and Udinese played against each other. So, of course, that finished scoreless. Inter beat Venezia in the 90th minute 2-1, despite Venezia being without a lot of their first-team regulars. Another side without a lot of first-team regulars were Atalanta. They went to Lazio and drew 0-0. Cagliari Fiorentina kicked off Sunday's action. It was 1-1. So was Torino Sassuolo. Napoli beat Salernitana 4-1. Spezia beat Sampdoria 1-0. Roma beat Empoli 4-2 in the most fun game to watch this weekend, I think it's fair to say. And the action finished with the worst game of them all. Milan-Juve, four shots on target in the whole game. It finished scoreless. Now... Just a reminder to listeners, if you want more of our negativity and pessimism, you can head over to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football, where you can sign up for extra content throughout the week, bonus podcasts, preview podcasts, historic written features of which there will be one next weekend in the absence of Serie A through the international break, and Champions League pods when that gets back up and running as well. You can sign up for €2, Euro, €5, Euro, or €10 Euro a month. But here we are. Here we are, just after watching that absolute dross at the San Siro. Kev, you had to suffer through that, as we all did, but you had to keep a particularly keen eye on it because you were doing the player ratings for us. And I feel a little bit sorry for you, not as sorry as I felt for Alibai, who was actually at the San Siro. And I've been there when it's cold, and it's doubly cold there when it's cold anywhere else. But... How did you give players ratings based on this, considering it was barely a match? Yeah, it was it was very difficult to do it when almost everyone to a man is doing very little. Um, they all started on sixes. They slowly dropped to fives. <laughs> then there was people that I forgot were even on the pitch. <laughs> got, got a mark sliced off. Um, 
recalling the four shots I think Milan had on goal uh, allowed me to sort of give half a mark to Liao. Uh, Chesney was probably only the standout player for Juventus because he did stop Tio Hernandez and Liao. Um, you know, relatively you know half decent efforts, but at least it, it, gave, it gave me something to pin my player of the match for Juventus on. But no, it was very difficult, and um, I also don't envy Ali being in the San Siro because I was nicely tucked up under a blanket at home, um, but it wasn't good viewing. I think it was you that made the point to me on Twitter, right, that it's probably a good thing that this fell at the time of Serie A's restrictions, Italy's restrictions. Yeah, yeah, just because of the spectacle it was, um, that only 5,000 fans were in San Siro, but then I did wonder, kind of the flip side of that, whether that might have sort of G'd up a few of the players. Um, because obviously they have, we have got back to playing in almost full capacity stadiums and maybe a game like this tonight. Because on the pitch, Locatelli and Tonali were the only two players really playing with any sort of tenacity that you kind of expect when these two sides meet. And, and maybe a, a, a near full San Siro would have helped it. But yeah, it was at least lucky that only 5,000 got to see the dross that was served up. Kev, you say Locatelli was one of the outstanding players, but um, I, I'm not quite sure Massimiliano Allegri agreed with you because, I mean, Locatelli was one of the first players that was taken off by Allegri. How long did he get? An hour? Uh, yes, he came off of a, with half an hour left, but then I that was largely due to where Allegri played him. You know, if you're going to play in that deep in midfield, he was literally doing the the shuttling and the, the closing down of the Milan attacks. It's like, what more do you want him to do? But I don't think you're going to expect him to be any more influential if you're if you're playing in that deep. Um, and I think it was Scott Munro who posted something on Twitter that said about playing uh, Artemilo and Locatelli mm. in the central midfield to release him further forward. And instead it was um, the Brazilian that replaced Locatelli. So yeah, I don't think it was for any... Uh, fault necessarily of Locatelli that he didn't have a great influence offensively. That's something we've been seeing quite a lot of. Vito, I know you want to jump in. I'll, I'll throw it over to you now in a moment. But a lot of people online have been saying that Locatelli and Arthur are perfect partners for one another. So, Vito, I, I know how you feel about this kind of football generally, but is it just Allegri's, I don't even want to say pragmatism, I'll, I'll probably say pessimism, that is preventing him from trusting two players like Locatelli and Arthur from playing alongside one another? Well, that's pretty much it. Uh, he always goes for the safer option, Allegri, and uh, it's come to the point that uh, this pessimistic and cowardly approach is not getting the results that it used to. Uh, having Arthur and Locatelli on the pitch at the same time has made uh, some differences in recent games, but the person who's really making that decision is Allegri's assistant, Marco Landucci. He's done it in the Roma-Juventus game, which Juve won 4-3. And then Juventus had an easy win in the Coppa Italia against Sampdoria. And uh, it was about... And Landucci, he was the one that using that combination midfield. So it seems that, uh, you know, with Allegri, just two cautions. And at least with Landucci... He gives that team some freedom to play or gives them a bit more belief, which is a bit odd. The assistant coach has more courage than the actual head coach. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because you wouldn't think that Landucci would be making any decisions that Allegri wasn't behind. But 
the fact that he was the man to do that would suggest that he was in control for those two games. I just can't get my head around what's going on there. But Ewan, it was a very unambitious performance from Juve on the night. It's not that great of a surprise given what we've seen from Allegri's Juve since he's been back. And it's hard to see how they'll be pleased with this because Atalanta are just above them and they've been decimated by COVID cases, um, suspected unvaccinated players having to quarantine as a result of being close contacts with those COVID cases. And they've picked up two points against Inter and Lazio now with a decimated squad. And, and Juventus should have really been targeting this against a Milan team without their usual central defensive pair and thinking, we can we can really get at them here. But under Allegri, look, it just looks like that's never going to be the case. Yeah, there was <clears throat> there was two quite good points made on comms in the UK, which I will now steal. Um, in terms of being unambitious, it kind of went for both teams. Where they kind of put, it, it felt like there were so many opportunities where a player would kind of get one on one with a fullback or whatever, and they just went back every time, every single time. And you know, Milan, you can get it slightly more in terms of maybe keeping you there at arm's length in terms of top four race, if it ever got to that. But in terms of Juve, like I say, they're, they're the ones who needed to win the game. They're, they're the ones trying to chase their way up the table. And, you know, while Milan created a bit more than them in the game overall, you know, both teams were there for the taking. If if the other one had a bit of urgency, had a, just a bit more Christmas to their play, wasn't losing the ball quite as regularly, and just tried to take on a man a little bit more. There's there's players in both teams that can do it. Even someone like Rafael Leal, who, you know, is a pretty joyous footballer most of the time, just didn't seem to be taking on the man. And that's that's what's made us all upset <laughs> and fed up with the game that we waited all weekend for. We did, because it was I think in our in our preview pod we said that it's all building up to Sunday night. And then that happened. You know, <laughs> it was just, it wasn't very fun. And I don't like moaning about the quality of a game, but it's hard not to after watching that, Kev. I think after I think also after uh, Inter sort of got that late winner Saturday, it kind of that deflated you ever you know a little bit because you know for a moment it thought oh they're going to drop a couple of points and then it's going to build up Milan Juve even bigger and then that didn't happen then this happens so I think I'm kind of I'm kind of double deflated by the way the fixtures have have uh, taken place this weekend. Just what you think Connor, about sort of building up to it. I think. I think I remember rightly at the end of that preview pod, I specifically said this is the sort of game that might not be a thriller in terms of like loads of goals, but like that sort of game, it's still often it will still be really interesting. I mean, <laughs> regardless of even if it's nil nil, it will still be really interesting. They somehow went beyond that, and actually, I was just completely wrong. It actually was not an interesting nil nil. Genuinely, nothing happened, and there wasn't to... continue. There, there, there wasn't even anything to take from the game for either team really neither can be that happy with the point surely this is it right and I think Juventus will probably be happier because they were the away team and and for that reason only but do we not have to ask questions of of Milan as well because they are the team who are competing in theory at least for the title this season with Inter and they only had four shots on target I know they lost Ibrahimovic early on due to an injury but even Milan, you and were they weren't very good. No, they weren't. And you know, like I said before, they they were 
the more likely to score, at least in the first half. But in terms of, you know, they, they obviously we'll talk about it later, but they watched in to win with a late goal yesterday, albeit against very different opposition. But either way, they won with a late goal. And they've got me thinking, well, surely it's worth, it's easy to say after the event, but surely it's worth the gamble of really pushing and trying to get those three points. And, you know, if you get caught on the break and you lose that one point you're going to get from the draw, in, in my head, maybe it's just because I'm fed up of having watched that game. But to me, it feels worth that gamble to go for those three points. You know, if Juve get three points, so be it. There, there is a gap there and they shouldn't be getting overtaken by Juve at any point this season. I, I just think that, I think they'll, they'll regret not flinging themselves at that a bit more. People who looked at the fixture list this weekend would have noticed a little bit of an oddity in that both Milan clubs played at home. Inter's win over Venezia was at the San Siro, where Milan played 24 hours later. And there have been a lot of things said of the pitch at the San Siro, which is never good. For as long as I can remember, the pitch at the San Siro has been rubbish. But this season, we've had people start to moan about it. And do you think that took its toll tonight? Yeah, well, su- supposedly they've attributed Slatan's injury to it, haven't they? Mm. Um, I had to do something earlier in the week about a guy, I've forgotten what his job is now, it was a word I hadn't heard before, but he's in charge of pitches, basically. And um, he was basically saying that, obviously, it, it gets an obscene level of football played on it, almost more than any other pitch, because two teams and then the mad fixtures. And they, they were meant to relay the surface or spruce up the surface in October. But those Nations League games that they had to play there oh. meant they lost that opportunity. So that's why it's so horrendous now. Apparently, they've got a two-week patch coming up now where they can redo the surface and they're getting the seeds from Oregon, I think, or something like that. Um, but why yeah, Oregon? That, well, I mean, it's a, it's a very leafy <laughs> state, isn't it, from, from what I know? I've not been. <laughs> but in my head, there's lots of trees in Oregon. <laughs> Clearly, well, actually, they don't want trees, do they? Maybe they're maybe they're too good seeds. It's going to go too far the other way. It's <laughs> not ideal if you get a tree in the middle of the pitch. I mean, the <laughs> last time I remember, last time I remember that happening was when Roma got. Do you remember when Roma won that preseason tournament and they got a tree? The bonsai. No. Yeah, do you know? There's <laughs> a great photo. I think it's Florenzi who's who's holding yeah. a tree because that's the trophy they were given for the. It's iconic. You need to find that. This is off topic, but have you ever seen the picture of the Everton fans holding the Roars Against Racism Cup in pre-season? And it's like the only thing they've won in years and years. And they're like, Roars Against Racism, you'll never sing that. Um, you and that tangent is not quite long enough to get you the prize that is on offer oh. today. And I'm going to take that prize now off the table because the dross is finished and we're going to move on to some <laughs> things which are a little bit more fun. I think... Where are we going next? There's two places in my head. Right, look, we'll work backwards. We won't go to Napoli yet because that will be the tangent. Where we're going to go first is listeners won't be surprised to see me veer this in the direction of a certain Portuguese coach and midfielder. So Roma went away to Empoli and won 4-2. They're 4-0 up after just 36 minutes. Tammy Abraham, Sergio Oliveira again. And Nicola Zaniolo scoring there. But Empoli scored twice in the second half to pull it back. But Roma's four goals in the first half proved just too much. Although, Kev, I've got to say, there was a point when Empoli scored their second goal where I thought, they're going to score two more here. Or at least one more and make this a really cagey finish. Well, I think we're probably going to have that for the rest of the season after Roma's collapse against Juve. Mm. And they did look shaky again. 
people have spoke about it being a, a mentality problem, which is not not often something you associate with a Mourinho side. Um, I think it would have been interesting if they hadn't scored four in that sort of quick run and and Empley had brought it back to three two, but you kind of felt that even the Empley players as sort of the gap grew between them scoring those two goals got ever ever longer that they they, they kind of thought Roman were gonna dig in and sort of see out the victory, but it would have been hilarious. No, it wouldn't have been. Look at you and your son being haters again. One of you were was a public hater on Twitter today, but now Kev, you're bringing it to the pod. Why? Why do you have to do this? A, a public hater of Mourinho. Well, um, I, I just like his overreaction. I wanted to see him throw more players under the Roma bus. <laughs> yeah, drag a few up back up to Rome. Oh, no, sorry, down to Rome with him from Tuscany. I, th- I think I'm the public hater because I said that I want to see. Mm-hmm. As much as I want Roma to win the game, I want to see the interview if they'd drawn that for all. And what Kev says about throwing players under the bus, it's sort of like, you know, you know, when there's like a fight on the pitch and the commentators say, no one wants to see that. When everybody does want to see that, like realistically, everyone enjoys watching a scuffle on the pitch where everyone gets involved, even though it's bad. That That's what a Mourinho interview after that sort of situation would be like. It'd be really ugly. There'd be a horrendous fallout and it'd be awful for their season. But like content-wise, it would be... Absolutely fascinating to see that. Well, you two haters <laughs> can hold your L's because Mourinho held on and got his dub. So I'm delighted about that, to be perfectly honest with you. But Vito, Sergio Oliveira, again, two goals in two. And obviously those are two goals in his first two Roma games. He looks like he's going to make a big difference already. Oh, huge. And... You know, just two games in and he's already fitted into the squad seamlessly. Just a, a very direct player, but someone who also can contribute, you know, to the team in the offensive phase. And uh, with the goal and the assist, all in the first half, laid the foundations for the win. And I think being a compatriot of Mourinho's, I think that's really going to help. You still have that sort of, that same mentality or mindset and because you're compatriots in another country, you try to look out for each other a bit more. And it seems like Oliveira will take whatever instructions Mourinho gives and just uh, bring you onto the pitch. And so far, it's getting the results. He'll have, he'll have the captaincy soon. And then him and Mourinho will be off, off in a little <laughs> sort of corner of the dressing room, whispering Portuguese, nothings to each other. And then he'll be my man on the pitch. He's building a little bit of a boys' club there, though, isn't he? Because Tammy Abraham loves him. Maitland Niles said that he was a big reason as to why he's gone there. So Mourinho is building his little crew. Maitland Niles, Maitland Niles is an interesting one. So I don't, I didn't pay too much attention to his individual performance, but um, the the UK commentator said that he he'd had some interesting reviews of his performances. But he's playing fullback, and I thought one of the reasons why he wanted to leave Arsenal was because he saw himself as a midfielder. And I do, and it's just a strange one for me that you then you move away to go and play in a position that you don't want to play, even though I'm pretty sure he won man of the match in a Community Shield once playing fullback for for Arsenal. But um, just it seemed like a strange move. I was I was thinking about him during the game actually because I, I was watching him thinking 
Because like I say, when, when he was in the Premier League, he no one could quite work out Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Like, you could tell there was a player there, but you didn't really know what he was or what he wanted to be. But I was kind of watching him tonight, and the, the work rate, I thought, Mourinho is going to adore him, surely, because he works incredibly hard. He's te- Technically, he's, he's pretty gifted as well. He's, he's a good player, and he will play anywhere. You know, there's, there's shades of a James Milner type player there. If you stick him anywhere in the team, he seems to be able to put a shift in. He'll play on either wing, be it further forward, further back. You, you can play in the middle. I, I wouldn't be amazed if some crisis saw him sat in centre-back at some point because he, even though he's short, he seems like the sort of player who can just put a job in anywhere. And, you know, we all know Mourinho likes that. Yeah, I had that feeling as I was watching him on because he was playing left side and he's very much right-footed player. And it kind of reminded me of... Uh, Sort of Paulo Ferreira for for Chelsea pop up playing left back when somebody was injured, or he he pop up ahead of a fullback because Mourinho had asked him to play sort of further forward. And I think like you and just said about Maitland-Niles, I think Ferreira probably popped up um, at centre half at least once in his Chelsea or Porto career. Um, Michael Essien yeah. became that as well for Mourinho, didn't he? He was he ended up being a box to box midfielder by trade, and then he was right back, left back, centre back, whatever was needed, he popped into that hole. So maybe. That's what Maitland-Niles will become. and I remember Mourinho used to refer to Essien as being his son or something. I'm pretty sure there are quotes about him saying that. So there you go. Maybe he's the perfect um, COVID player in the sense that... A COVID having, player? In, 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 what I mean is that in, right now, having a player that you can plug in almost anywhere in the squad and do a solid job for you is invaluable. And that's kind of the situation we've got now with cases and the calendar, the injuries. I appreciate that's doing him a disservice and he's more than that. But right now, you can put him anywhere and that is a really valuable thing to have. If Roma... on, Maitland-Niles. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just said utility player. That would have been just fine. <laughs> yeah, that was a even COVID-era player. Post-COVID, he can be a utility player. Yeah. <laughs> It sort of insinuates that he's playing while infected on the pitch, just calling him a COVID player. <laughs> or, only, or only playing because they've got COVID infection. Can we just yeah. roll out our, we've got our COVID squad. They trade on the other pitches over at the uh, training ground. And we sort of just draft them in when we've got we've got too many out for COVID. Ewan, are you the person behind Sarriar's English account? <laughs> what do you think they, they're going to work out that phrase at some point? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they absolutely would, wouldn't they? No, I've got a serious question for you, actually, you and bringing up Maitland Niles. If if this current Roma team were a basket of cats and Mourinho was responsible for that basket, which cat is the COVID player? Uh, the one mean? that's staying in the which basket? Is he the one that keeps leaving the basket? Is he the one that waits for another one to leave? And then leave the basket um, while someone is looking after the. No, no, he, he'd he'd be the only one that never leaves the basket, okay. because he's he's reliable. He's you know he's always there for you whenever wherever you need to put him. He's okay. he's like the one cat that won't push the other ones out. All right, I've got a quiz <laughs> question for you guys then, if you're ready. So, um, Sergio Oliveira became the last or the most recent Portuguese player to score in back-to-back Serie A games. Can you guess? the player who did it before him and the year in which he did it. Now, don't say something daft like 1983 because it's not long ago at all. But if you can guess the player, I'll be very surprised. And I'm going to give you all a guess. So 
think a Portuguese player is, guys. Alphabetically, who's first? That is you. Uh, we'll do it the reverse way. Vito, you can go first with your bet. The last Portuguese player to score on back-to-back Serie A games and when? I'm going to guess Rui Costa in 2002. Rui Costa, 2002. Okay, Kev? I was thinking Costa, but I'll just go real recent and go Liao, 2020. Okay, that's a good guess, I think. Nice, because Liao could be a quite a forgotten player in that because he would automatically go back. So I, I respect that. Ewan? Uh, based on literally all of your trivia questions on this podcast, and if I've got the national- nationality right, Bruno oh, Alves, uh, like 2019. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're not correct. However, I will give Ewan a point for being closest <laughs> with the year, and I'll give him a second point for saying Bruno Alves in a podcast wherein he wasn't going to get a mention otherwise, but... I'll tell you the year and see if any of you can get it. January 2017. Hmm. Bruno Fernandes? No, he played in hmm. the north of Italy, but not in Udine or Genova. That was a good shout, though. It was a good shout, but it's not a correct shout, which is what I'm looking for now. He's no longer in Nanny Italy. Had gone, hadn't he, by then? Okay. He played... For one of the Milanese clubs, sorry, you he say was you. he was largely ridiculed. <laughs> His initials are JM. Jean Mario. There you go, Vito. Vito, uh, you can take a point. You can take a point. Congratulations. <laughs> I thought when I said JM, Kev was going to say Jose Mourinho. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't to be. Roma getting the win. Empoli not having the best of times after a really impressive start to their return season in Serie A. But we've got to go to another club who play down there, a little further down than Rome, though. We're going to Campania, where there was the derby that's only a derby for one of the teams. But Lorenzo Insigne said it was a derby after the match. So now I'm confused because I spent most of the season with Napolitani telling me that it's not a derby for them. But then Insigne said it was one. Maybe he's forgotten his roots since signing for Toronto. But anyway. He probably thinks the MLS is a top quality league as well, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I want to distance myself from those claims while also wholeheartedly supporting them. But Salernitana had one shot. It was on target and it was a goal from Federico Bonazzoli. So you've got to say that Alex Merritt didn't have his best day's work. Napoli, though, had 26 shots on target, 82% of the possession. And Insignia scored, but that's not the remarkable thing, is it, Kev? No, the remarkable thing is that Juan Jesus scored. No, that's not the remarkable thing either, Kev. Is it, Kev? No, it's that kit, that flaming kit. What did they do, Kev? Uh, They wore an 11th shirt of the season. How many? 11. It was the 11th, or the 11erd, whatever. 11erd. Elevenist? Elevenist. I think Elevenist works, doesn't it? Um, I I heard a couple of quite funny quips, actually, while the Roma game was going on. The uh, commentator said that if there was any Napoli fans out there that bought all... He actually said 10 shirts, but um, the number is 11. Then um, could they please get in contact because he had some magic beans to sell them. (laughs) 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 Which which was quite enjoyable. Yeah. and also that the 
apparently, because I haven't seen the uh, the marketing comms on this, the flames are to represent some sort of, you know, fire within the, you know, the the hearts of the Neapolitan fans. Whereas he said it was the flames of their total race, their total <laughs> challenge, um, sort of going up in flames. So, uh, yeah, two good things from it. You've actually answered my question there, okay? Because it just dawned on me as you were talking. Obviously, we all saw this earlier in the day, but uh, I thought to myself, actually, why is there another one? I can I can think what it. Obviously, the, the the Maradona one was like, you know, that self-explanatory. You can see why they've made that, even though it's still a bit mad. But like another one, just randomly, is there like an anniversary or something? Is there the reason why now an anniversary of the one? last time they released a novelty kit, but like a one month anniversary <laughs> instead? It's it's quite it's just it astounds me. Um, just if you think about the cost that it must take to produce all these kits, because it must it must be more costly to to have all these sort of one off kits, even though using a couple of times a season. Then you think about you know the environmental impact. You know, me doing my green shout out. Um, Kev, the fans have to pay for it. Um, but they don't have to, do they? But no, but it must cost. Can I ask you to explain again what are the flames symbolic of? The flames are symbolic of the fire that burns within Neapolitan supporters. This was according to a broadcast commentator. But I haven't seen the actual marketing comms because I didn't know this shirt was coming out until I saw it today. <laughs> the the other thing that I find a bit weird is that. So obviously everyone's kind of, there's been a lot of talk this season about how great Venezia's kits are. They've got they've got a reputation for it now. So you can sort of understand if they decided to milk it and brought out a mad amount of kits this season, knowing that a lot of people are going to buy them and talk about it because everyone already is. I don't associate Napoli with great kits necessarily. Not necessarily awful ones, but like they're just kits. They're normal kits. Why are they of all people decided you know what, people want more of these? We we must make more of these because we do them so well and everyone's it's gonna the... buy them. It's the Armani thing, isn't it? Their employer Armani this season, so yeah, that'll that probably be it. Um, I, I fully associate Napoli with lots of awful kits, though. They've been doing this for three or four years, mm. you know, having sort of multiple kits in a season. Um, mm. I, I don't, I don't know a club in the other five <laughs> major European leagues that does it this often and this badly. How many home games have Napoli played this season? Well, I'm going to guess at 10. In all competitions, it, it must be about 15, right? But they're not far off having worn the same number of kits as they've played games at home, which is astonishing. You'd wonder how many times they've actually worn the home kit. Add that to your spreadsheet, Kev. You can work that out. But I've got to say, I didn't watch this match, right? So I went to edit Michelle's report and I was searching through uh, the Reuters photography database for a photo from this game. And when I saw the pictures initially, I thought nothing of it. I just thought, oh, look, Napoli are wearing a dark blue kit at home. That's a surprise. And then it was only when I saw, like, another one, I thought, hang on. I don't remember seeing this kit before this season. So then I took to Twitter, and people immediately responded, and the number 11 popped up, which was astonishing. But I've got a... Maybe it's a pedantic question to ask. Maybe it's just me being annoying, which I quite usually am. However, the kit is navy blue, a lighter blue, and white. 
and it's supposed to represent flames. I know flames can sometimes be blue, but you don't think of blue being a color that you'd associate with a flame, do you? Not volcano on the hob, yeah. <laughs> I've not I've not seen many red flames on my gas hob. Um, you need to that's that means you have a the temperature very high. If you make the flames bigger and and less well, intense cook, they'll be orange. Yeah, but you don't want to go maximum heat, Kev. Yeah. Are you one of them people Kev who thinks the the hotter it is the faster it cooks. The smaller uh the smaller hob. Have it up at max. Just choose a different hob. You okay? My cook <laughs> is very nice. I have you on. <laughs> I believe that actually. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're in the yeah. second hall kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I'm now getting all, I'm now getting all defensive on my, about my culinary. Skills. He loves his risotto, don't you? You love making a risotto. Do love, love risotto once a week in the Bobrovsky mm. household. Um, the other week, Sam played Napoli Uh-oh. at home, and uh, Napoli wore red. You know, which is even more bizarre than you're inviting your opposition to wear their home strip. But uh, I think it was Thomas Holmes Reed. I sort of woke up on the Monday to sort of a, a Twitter, you know, aren't you outraged by this? And I thought to myself, actually, no, not anymore, because it's, you know, it's now just what Napoli are. That, there was somebody else that wore, well, I think actually, I think it was Inter wearing that sort of awful third kit they've got this year wearing at home. I'm more annoyed at that because Inter never used to really do it very often, but Napoli have done it so much now over the last few years. I'm kind of like, you know, so it, it, when something that's a bit of a novelty, it's like one of your mates doing a really crap joke all the time, but after they've done it for about the 15th time, you just kind of stop losing interest of it. You just stop talking to them. And I think I'm just going to stop kind of even acknowledging what kit Napoli are wearing half the time they're playing now. It's now become Maybe. a cause for celebration when you see them win their, their light blue shirt. Yeah. Maybe that's what the fans feel like it now. They just turn up at the Stadio San Paolo, well, not even the Maradona now, and they 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 just kind of have to do a double take before kickoff just to make <laughs> sure they know which side they're supporting in case suddenly they sort of go off and they're in the fifteenth minute and they're supporting Empoli or Lazio. You say that as a joke, right? But I remember in my first season here in Italy, Parma played Sampdoria, and to celebrate their uh, the twenty fifth anniversary of their fans twinning. They basically swapped kits. So Parma wore a Samp style shirt in Parma's colours, but the main colour was blue. And then they had a black and yellow cross, a, a, a strip running across it. And Samp wore a Parma style kit, but in their colours, but in their away colours. So basically, Samp played in Parma's colours and design, and Parma played in Samp's colours and design against each other. So I went to the Tardini and there was an early goal, if I remember correctly. And by the time the early goal had gone in, I still hadn't fully processed who was who. So when the goal went in, I had to think, right, who's scored that? Firstly, which team has scored that goal? And secondly, which player has got it? It was a mess. It was an absolute mess. But... Yeah, I, I I watched, sorry, so this is going off on another tangent, but uh, the UK broadcast on the Bologna-Verona game, when Orsolini scores, the UK commentator goes, oh, Skorupsi couldn't get down to that one. And then when the replays were going down, 
he realizes that he called out the wrong goalie. He called out the Bologna goalie rather than the Verona goalie. But and then there's this kind of awkward. You could you could almost sense the pause where he was. Oh, I can't correct myself now. Mm. Um, but he definitely said Skorupski couldn't get down to the Orsolini shot, and I thought, well, you know, if he scored a own goal from there, he's done pretty well. He's just glanced down at his team sheets and and looked at the wrong side, hasn't he? That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Um. Do we have anything to say about this game? Probably not. I mean, Napoli uh, beating Salernitana should be routine, and even more so in the circumstances. The the way that Salernitana scored was quite funny, because like uh, as as with when you watch them every single time, you, you you just sort of sit there thinking, God, they really are bad. But then they just suddenly put together this really fluid move that involved a back heel and then a quite decent half volley. And it was like, oh, cool. <laughs> they've scored and suddenly it's a game. It just it was the most out-of-nowhere goal and it was a really good goal as well. If only Milan and Juve had done that this evening. Yeah. We've moved on from that and I never want to think about that again in my life. So can we please refrain from making references to that horrid affair in Milan this evening. I do there is an important thing to, to mention about this game today, which is that Lorenzo Insigne obviously scored a penalty to make it. I think it was Napoli's fourth he got. And with it, Vito, he equaled Diego Maradona's 115 goals in Napoli colours. Now, if he'd done that a few years ago, he'd be joint all-time top scorer. But Napoli have had a good few years, so he's still six behind Marakamshik, who he will be targeting to overtake by the end of the season. But he's still what 29 off Mertens so he's not gonna to reach that tally but an incredible feat nonetheless he's been a fantastic contributor for Napoli over these years there have been uh, questions over his consistency especially from Neapolitan fans I think being the local hero I think they've put a lot of expectations on him and he hasn't always lived up to what they've wanted but uh, when he's on song he's an absolute Pleasure to watch. Has scored some incredible goals over the years. And, uh, yeah, it'd be nice if he can actually overcome Ham6 tally. And it would be a good way to sort of finish off his time with the Partenope. I think we'll spare Vito the the suffering of having to talk about another Sampdoria defeat. So, Kev, I'll come to you. Spezia beat Samp 1-0 in what is a huge three points for the Aquilotti and it, it makes me quite tempted to play their song at the end of this podcast again, if, if for no other reason but to give me a chance to listen to it. But they are now five points ahead of Samp. And crucially, they are eight points clear of Cagliari in the relegation zone. Yeah, I think those, those last sort of couple of wins that they've had, obviously we didn't get time to, we were on before they turned Milan over Monday. Um, that was sort of their third well, what I found quite surprising that was hearing that it was their third away win on the bounce, mm. um, and you know, and then to to sort of turn Sampdoria over at home as well is just sort of phenomenal run of games. And you always feel that they can do that at times, you know, even if it's just back to back wins. And I think that's why I don't particularly have fear of them going down this season. Um, they've, they've got just just enough to sort of pick up those points. Mm. Well, here's the other thing. Being another game between two Ligurian clubs, prior to being in Serie A, uh, Spezia seemed to have a good friendship with the Sampdoria Ultras, but now uh, 
their enemies. Their enemies. What has happened? And oh. I got to admit, I saw this on a few Sampdoria fan pages on Instagram. Uh, the shots of uh, of Spezia fans, uh, well, at least one Spezia fan burning a Sampdoria flag and putting it against the uh, fence. So now it's like for the ultras, no friendship. They're another enemy. So in this case, it's on like Donkey Kong. Is it a derby now then? Pretty much so. Yes, come on, another Ligurian derby. Because the Ligurian yeah. derby is the best one there is. So the fact that there's another is spicy. Do you know why they decided to do that? I honestly don't know. But um, I, this is my assumption, my theory. I just think that, you know, now that uh, Spezia are in their second Serie A season, oh. uh, they're facing Sump now. And yeah, I think maybe they just want to spice things up, or the they, fact they, that they're they, in Serie A, it's getting to the heads. <laughs> they they smelt the fear in the Sampdoria fans <laughs> now that they're a, a bona fide relegation rival. That's what it is. That's what it is. They feel like uh, they're on a level a level footing with Sampdoria now. Uh, when Vito started off on that, I thought he was going to say something like, oh, the, these heights are getting to their heads. And then he, he went around that and I thought, oh, no, fair, fair play, Vito. He's, you've surprised me there. But then he got there in the end. <laughs> he just had to have a go. <laughs> They're nearing Genoa territory at the moment for you, Vito, which, which concerns slowly, me. Slowly. I don't like that, though, because I like Spezia. We've always been fans of Spezia on this podcast. So. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't quite get to that extreme level. But Vito, we will let you talk about Genoa because they they drew nil nil against Udinese and they just I mean talking about stinking performances. You and I know for for other places where we work, you predicted this to have very few goals and gave it the maximum certainty of a five star prediction because of that. And well, Udinese had two shots. And none of them were on target. So talking about stinking performances, Vito, you must be very pleased to see Genoa just slowly slipping and slipping and slipping. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> good that they're still near the drop. But uh, yeah, the scary thing is that Genoa could have won this game. It was only because of Silvestri. He made a couple of saves for Udinese. So they add on to the points. But the thing is, I've heard, I've seen some left field coaching choices, and uh, Udinese made one a few years ago where they got that guy from the Spanish second division, Velasquez. But uh, they got this guy who was coaching uh, Ostend in the Belgian league, and he used to be in the RB Leipzig youth system. Um, Blessing or Plessen. I mean, I feel like ch- channeling your namesake, Connor. You know, Connor McGregor. I mean, who is Connor. this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? Where did he come from? Please. I mean, just, oh, unbelievable. I mean, foreign coaches coming in, that's walk, one free time. <laughs> <laughs> love to see you do the walk. Oh, my God. Can I just oh. take the moment to say thank you, Vito, for for editing that quote from that moron of a man as well, because you and you see, that's how you do it. You can avoid swearing on the regular podcast quite easily if you just use your head. 
yeah, it, it's avoidable, and Vito delivered that very well. But it it would have been funnier if he'd just gone for it and said the real thing. There's no getting around that. The real quote is funnier. Probably would have just clicked in the McGregor quote in that case because why not? But yeah, in other games, Inter beat Venezia two one. A last minute winner from Ed and Jacko here. Now, Ewan, I can't be alone in being shocked that it took Inter this long. Yeah, I think um, I thought possibly that Venezia might get a goal and, you know, they did that. They had a decent start, got a goal, but you still assume that Inter would win the game very handily, at least 3-1. But, you know, a, a late winner, it'll do them the world of good in terms of morale, etc. Not that they really need any more. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a surprise that it took them as long as it did. It was clearly clearly a bit out of the legs for them after midweek. That you know they they got over the line and they've won yet another game. It's a cliche. The whole champions win games like that, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's true, and they keep doing it every single week. Atalanta without all of their players went not all, but with a considerable <laughs> number of players missing. Nine is the limit, I think, and they were without seven or eight, and all of them being important went away to Lazio. Kevin, they drew nil nil. In a really impressive performance, given the circumstances, Giorgio Scalvini, 18-year-old, made his first Serie A start um, in, out of position in defensive midfield. Roberto Piccoli as well also made his first start for Atalanta. And then teenagers Tommaso Di Nipoti and Alessandro Sidibe came off the bench late on. And they just played so well and got a scoreless draw away at Lazio. Yeah, I think that was um, what made it more impressive than the draw they got last week uh, against Inter at home, you know, because it was away. And um, sort of the composure and assuredness of, 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 the, of the players in, in sort of out of out of position. And um, yeah, it'll probably do a, a, it will definitely do a great deal for their sort of mentality and particularly the young lads if they've got to sort of step in again or just within their future careers, if you can go to Rome and, and do that. And um, with so many players out, it's just kind of crucial that they're picking up an odd point. And I don't think any Atalanta fan will be disappointed with the two points they've picked up in the last six. Absolutely not. I don't like to laugh at a coach's expense, but Maurizio Sarri, after the game, said one of the most outrageous things I've, I've seen a coach say, given the, the state of both squads. Now, if I read Atalanta's bench to you, I'm not sure how many of the surnames you'll recognize. So they had three substitutes fewer than Lazio for the game. The substitutes were Toloi, Mele, Rossi, Oliveri, Panada, Giovane, Denepoti, Sidibe, and Sportiello. Two goalkeepers as well. Does anybody know any of those players except for the first two? Probably not. And Sari said that, oh, we were we were without players too. We had three players missing, and I only had two return yesterday. Now, in the Lazio 11, they had Felipe Anderson, Ciro Mobile, Mattia Zaccagni, Luis Alberto, Lucas Leiva, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, Elsa Lufisai, Luis Felipe, I'm not going to include Patrick, and Thomas Strakosha. But Sadi doesn't have a leg to stand on here, surely. I, I can't be the only one thinking this because I'm an Atalanta fan. It, it's just sour grapes, isn't it? Yeah, it is, because... <laughs> Sarri's pretty much got a full-strength team there. Aside from having that donkey Patrick and hopefully Valencia do Lazio a favour and buy him, um, yeah, 
Lazio should have won that. On, at least on paper, they should have won. They had the team, but Gasparini outcoached him. So, yeah, look, I like Sarri. He's fantastic, but he's wrong when, in this moment. I'd just like to invite a pylon towards Vito there in the manner I got about <laughs> Ainsley Maitland-Niles because I merely suggested he was very versatile and useful. And Vito's just called a guy a donkey and, and got away with it. No, no, no. The, the key difference is you tried to invent a term for which a term already exists. Donkey is a well-known word for a useless footballer. Listen, I made the term contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> With my vast brain. I do feel bad, though, because you and I kind of had a bit of a pop at Patrick on the preview part. And Vito's <laughs> just kind of piled it on in the regular <laughs> with ourselves. So, um, sorry, Patrick, but your name is still Patrick, so I'm not that apologetic. Um, what else happened this weekend? Well, Cagliari drew 1-1 against Fiorentina, which was a surprise result here, Kev. I think everybody would have expected Laviola to win. Yeah, I did. Um, I think I was probably more surprised when I realised that Jao Pedro had missed the penalty. And um, that kind of mm. felt like uh, what just another nail in the coffin for Gallery's relegation uh, because they would have gone two up. They might have been able to hold on because Fiorentina didn't really turn up. Um, and it, it took us till late on, 15 minutes to go, for Sottle to run through and pop a goal in. But... Um, Still up, still up and down. Even though they've been sort of very, very much improved this year, Fiorentina. But I think these sort of results might be what holds them back from getting European qualification. It was nice to see them draw a game for a change because for so long they were only winning or losing. I think at one point they had won six and lost six and not drawn or something stupid. They've now drawn three, won eleven and, and lost eight. So it is evening out a little bit more. But it's nice to see Fiorentina draw. And become a bit of a normal team instead of a, as weird as they had been before that. Verona beat Bologna 2-1 in the Friday night game. Kev, I think you watched this one? I watched the first half, yeah. Um, I, I, I sort of I forget that Mihailovic is on, the, is on the bench for Bologna. And I wonder sort of, because they kind of, they flattered to, to deceive a little bit. They kind of floating around mid-table. They look like they could put a bit of a run together. Then they play poorly. They've got some some decent players there, and I wonder I wonder whether in the summer because I don't think they, they've clearly got um, he's got their trust, and, and whether they might make a change this um, this uh, this summer to a new management just to try and get a little bit more out of that squad. They should, shouldn't they, Vito? Because I am of the opinion that Mihailovic is a little bit too defensive minded for this Bologna team that he's got working under him. As much as I do like Mihalovic in general, I think after a while, his approach just becomes stale. So regardless if he sets a team up to play attacking football or defensive football, um, I think his ideas, they don't uh, allow a team to progress further. And this Bologna squad has a lot of young players that uh, still have a lot of potential and with another coach probably would have developed further. You know, whether it be the improvement of the decision-making, tactical now, or even the technical skills. And I think one such player would be someone like Ricardo Solini. I honestly think with the skill set he has, he should be one of the best wingers in Italy, if not all of Europe. But I think with the way he's been progressing so far, I don't think he's reached 
anywhere of the levels that I would have expected him to. I think Ricardo Orsolini is the one thing that you and I disagree on the most because he's he's a player with with so much talent, but I, I've never seen the guy make a good decision. Every time I go there, Mihailovic looks like he wants to run onto the pitch and assault them. And to be honest, there have been times where I, I think I'd have been closely following Mihailovic on, running down through the press area and the stands because he, he drives me up the wall. But I, I take what you're, what you're saying about his talent, an incredibly talented player, but someone needed to get a hold of him earlier on, I think, and just tell him to, to stop being so selfish. Yeah, he is he is quite frustrating as a player. And it it almost reminds me of uh, sort of a couple of times I saw Napoli live in sort of 20... Would have been 2014, 2015. And, and Insigne used to do that. Mm. His decision-making was absolutely terrible. He'd shoot from crazy yeah. places or just like dribble down blind alleys. So there is still time for Orsolini, but he needs to kind of pick it up soon. But look, like Vito said, maybe he needs a coach that's going to be able to coach that rather than just having a coach like Mihailovic, who clearly does get frustrated with him because it probably actually isn't. Uh, sort of productive to him improving his own game. I know it's a few years ago now, but he was, it's easy to forget, he had a, a brief loan spell at Atalanta when they played with two wide players further up the pitch and he never got a look in under Gasparini. And everybody who has followed Atalanta knows that if you don't listen to what Gasparini tells you to do, you don't play. So you can just imagine in training that Orsolini was having pot shots from everywhere and Gasparini probably... <laughs> Well, look, Gasparini probably laid a hand on him once or twice, knowing the, the way that man's anger can take a hold of him. But in the other game, Torino battered Sassuolo, but somehow they only scored once in the first 88 minutes through Antonio Sanabria. And then Giacomo Raspadori made them regret not taking any other chances. And Ewan finished 1-1. Yeah, this was the sort of game that sort of promised to be quite even, quite interesting. It felt like the could potentially be a few goals there, at least be a tight game. But let's say it was a bit of a battering with every element except the goals. And then they completely got made to pay for it. And like Kev said earlier with Fiorentina's results, possibly being what holds them back slightly from maybe knocking on the door of those Champions League spots or even just Europa League. With Torino not winning this sort of game where they have dominated could be what maybe keeps them in the bottom half potentially come the end of the season. The... Serie A Feminile round of fixtures was quite interesting, Ewan, because Sassuolo, I mean, Lana Cleland was was on it again. She scored twice. Sassuolo beat Verona 4-0. Pomigliano surprised everybody of beat Empoli 2-1. Juventus-Fiorentina. Juventus, for the first time in 36 matches, didn't win a match. They won every single game in Serie A last season, had won every game so far this season, but Fiorentina went 2-0 up against them and it did look like Juventus were going to come back to win but it finished 2-2 there somehow Roma beat Napoli 1-0 Milan beat Samp 4-0 Vito it's not been a good week for your club I'm sorry to say and Inter beat Lazio 3-1 now you and the obvious story here is Fiorentina finally stopping Juve and Valentina Giacinti on her first start for La Viola scored a gorgeous lob as well yeah, we can we can all rejoice. As, as much respect and admiration we have for that Juve team, everyone can be happy that they have finally not won every single game that they possibly lay their eyes on. Um, and but like I say, when they got back to two all, 
with half an hour left. You yeah. can see that and you just think, well, they're obviously going to win 6-2 now or something like that because <laughs> like, as, as much as they batter everyone, they have done that before where they've gone behind and you get a bit excited and then they just steamroll someone. But we kind of talked about Fiorentina last week picking up a couple of players, Chichinji being one from Milan and wondering whether they might be a much better team and then they went and got slapped by us as well. But, you know, th- this would suggest that there is an improvement there. Um, and they might, they can't really do anything this season, you'd think, table-wise with the way the points gap is. But, you know, next season, if they can keep that team together, they they might suddenly be right up there again. On Sassuolo, we need to mention the fact that Lana Cladent has now got six goals in two games. She's now leading the Serie A Femenile scoring charts. I spoke to her briefly over the weekend. And let's just say she's not very happy with some of the things that have been said about her in the last month and that is very much the reason behind her goal scoring form she is an angry woman at the moment and she's taking it out on anyone that comes up against her i did i did smile quite a lot when i saw her put four past fiorentina given the way she was treated towards the back end of her time there and her first game for sassuolo was away at or was against fiorentina as well and she scored the decisive goal and a win for her new side. So it was great to see. She's having a, a glorious time. And Sassuolo now have three players in the the top 10 of the scoring charts. Um, Fiorentina technically do too because Giacinti's now there, but I'm not really as impressed by that because she's got nine goals and eight of them came from Elan. So if she scores a few more, I'll, I'll start to take it. But there's a couple of good games next week. I might try and get about to some in the absence of uh, men's football. Now, Milan-Lazio is, is probably doable. And then I'm thinking, see, the problem with Sampdoria is that they play so far out of the city. I don't know how to actually get to the stadium, but Samp are playing Sassuolo and Sassuolo are always good to watch. So I might make the trip over there for that one. And I think that'll take us to the end of this week's podcast. Just a reminder to the listeners to head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football where if you want to keep up with stuff during the international break, we will be posting. I'm sure there will be a podcast next week. Uh, you and Maybe you and I can assemble and do something on Serie A Femenile, particularly if I get to a couple of the games. Vito and Kev, as it's an international break, you guys can, can rest up a bit. Kev, I, I know we had a bit of a falling out earlier in the season because you incorrectly assumed that an international break was an international break for everybody and and not just you so uh enjoy your rest mate i'll look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks time yeah you too i'm gonna have high tea a a christmas raffle prize high tea for two with the wife you sound very (laughs) pleased about getting getting away for a while uh vito i will speak to you in a couple of weeks time as well but you will have a written piece go up on Patreon in the meantime. So give us a bit of a teaser as to what that's going to be about. Well, my first uh, Patreon article was on Serie A, and uh, this time will be a uh, European classic, and it's involving uh, AC Milan, one of the victories in the 1990s. A glorious, glorious match, and any Milan fan would be a fool to not sign up to, to have a read of that one. I, I think you would agree. Ewan, I don't really know what to say to you. 
Oh, charming. Well, I've got nothing to say to you. <laughs> I mean, I'll speak to you next weekend anyway, won't I? It's not like it's a it's a farewell between you and I. We're we're in regular contact. Yeah, there's 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 always more football if you follow another version of the league. It's true. There's, there's non-stop football. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Um, what's his name? David Mitchell. Have I just yeah. invented a man? All of the football, all the time. Yeah. I thought oh, I'd yeah. been touching into one of the soap operas there by just naming a, a generic first name and then using Mitchell as the surname. But that is the comedian, <laughs> see, David Mitchell, isn't it? There's a tangent for that, actually, that people can talk about on Twitter. Anyone who has any Engli- any interest in English geography, he says Shrewsbury versus Macclesfield, the battle for the Northwest. Make of that what you will, if that sounds weird, because Shrewsbury is not the Northwest. But somehow he got away with that and I think that will annoy people if they've not heard that before right you've annoyed me bringing that up I'm Irish and beat us from <laughs> Australia do you think we're supposed to know what you're talking about there oh Kev might unless he's too far south <laughs> even, though, even, though, even, though, even though I don't care it's always wrangle with me Australian and American listeners you are the majority I can only apologise I don't know what he's talking about either. Um, We will speak to you next week. Hopefully we'll see you on Patreon. Guys, please do head over there. We'll continue to churn out the content for you. But if not, well, we'll like you just a little bit less. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the international games. Goodbye. Ah, 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 ah.